She Makes Money Moves is a production of Glamour and iHeartRadio. I figured once I got a job, I'd be able to pay everything off, and I really didn't think about how much I was taking out until I graduated. I'm Samantha Barry, the editor-in-chief of Glamour, and this is She Makes Money Moves. Student loan debt in America has become a national crisis. And it's taken center stage among politicians in the run-up to the 2020 presidential election. Cancel student loan debt for 95% of the kids who've got it. If we could bail out Wall Street, we damn well can cancel all student debt in this country. Nationally, $1.5 trillion dollars an outstanding student loan debt. I think last year, on average, graduating college seniors had 37,000 bucks on their back that they're going to be paying back. I think um, this year it's 40,000 bucks. No student should have to fear the, the, the burden of what student debt right now brings. But it isn't just a political issue. It's a women's issue. That $1.5 trillion debt you just heard about, women owe nearly two-thirds of it. As she struggled to pay back her own student loans, today's guest tried to use credit cards to stay afloat. Today, she owes over a quarter of a million dollars. She's making around $85,000 a year and trying to build back up her savings. At some point, she'd like to start a family and own a home but she's scared that she'll never be able to afford either. This is her story. My name is Melanie McDonald. I am 28 years old and live in New York City. I'm a physical therapist here, and I've been practicing for about three years now. I am $285,000 in debt, and $274,000 of that is student loan debt. I always was interested in having a career in science, and I went to a city school in New York. And luckily, my parents were able to cover those expenses for me. I decided I wanted to be a physical therapist and, you know, started looking into the options for PT school, and they're all pretty much expensive. To become a physical therapist, she'd need to earn her Doctor of Physical Therapy degree through a graduate program that usually takes a little over three years to complete. While she was applying to school, Melanie worked full-time as an office manager for a physical therapy practice. Her parents were adamant about saving when she was growing up, but when she got a paycheck, she was inclined to spend it. As soon as I started working and actually making real-world money, I spent it. A lot. I bought shoes. I bought clothes. I was thinking about moving in with my then longtime boyfriend. So we were looking at apartments. We finally moved in together. And um, I think that's where my money went then. A few months later, Melanie was accepted into a program at New York University. She was offered a small scholarship, but she'd need loans to cover the rest. I had to take out a significant amount of loans. Um, I took out about $240,000 to cover my tuition, my books, and my apartment because physical therapy school is full-time, so I wasn't able to work. I did uh, side things here and there, but we weren't supposed to. 
I taught, I did personal training on the side. Um, sometimes I tutored anatomy, but it was kind of an hour here, an hour there that I would make maybe a hundred bucks or 200 bucks a week. That would probably buy my coffees in the morning. Melanie qualified for a Grad Plus loan, a type of federal loan that's available to students in graduate or professional schools. It covered her tuition and gave her the option of requesting more money to cover living expenses. Any time financial aid offered more money, I took the extra money. I didn't really think about not taking it or giving it back or paying off the loans early. I figured once I got a job, I'd be able to pay everything off. Physical therapists are supposed to do pretty well, so I really didn't think about how much I was taking out until I graduated. Three years later, Melanie graduated and started working right away. She was eager to tackle her student loan debt, and while her payback plan would have allowed her to wait to start making payments, she opted not to. But then she got her first bill. I got my first, uh, I get jitters remembering this day, but I got my first bill online, and it was more than my rent. My rent at the time was 1400 and the first bill for the first month was 1550 and <laughs> and i just i don't i don't know i think i cried um and i just didn't know how i was going to do it i think we were late on rent so that i could pay my student loans and that was the only month that i could pay that much melanie called her loan company she said she would wait to start making payments after all Her plan was to save aggressively over the six-month grace period, enough to make her payments more manageable. But when the grace period was up, she had to call them again and say she still couldn't afford the payments. The loan company adjusted her payback plan and lowered her payments to about $700 a month. So I've been paying off my student loans for about three years now and haven't missed a payment because I'm in a forgiveness program with my student loans and with my job. In 20 years, if I pay all of my payments on time, whatever is left over is forgiven and it just gets taxed that year. While Melanie was prioritizing her student loan payments, she was struggling to make ends meet. I had other expenses, so metro cards and light and gas and (laughs) everything else that we have to pay. So that just started to slowly go on my credit cards. And eventually my credit cards just got maxed out. I didn't even think that was possible because I've never maxed out my credit cards before. But, I mean, it was lunch here or my phone bill or something. And at this point, I got married. So now my husband and I are in a place where we are talking about children. We're talking about uh, hopefully moving into somewhere of our own, a house or whatever, condo. (laughs) I mean, my parents had a house and, you know, they tell me it's the best thing that they've ever done. But we don't really see it, unfortunately, in the near future because it's so hard to save with the amount of bills that we have. More on She Makes Money Moves right after this quick break. I'm Samantha Barry. Welcome back to She Makes Money Moves. Today, Melanie and her husband sometimes struggle to pay all of their bills on time. In total, they bring in about $7,000 a month. After they pay $3,000 in rent, my school loans take precedent. Our credit card bills are probably the next big chunk. Whatever else we have left, then we kind of figure out, well, we paid our phone bill late this time, so we have to pay that one on time. Or, you know, we don't really need to pay our cable right now, so that can wait. 
And so next month, we'd probably say, okay, we have to pay our cable because we didn't do that. And then something else will fall by the wayside or go on a credit card. It's like a seesaw, you know. It's like we're drowning a little, and then I try to wait as long as I can, but not too long so that it goes into, like, delinquency, and then I just use the money to put out that fire while another fire is building. Melanie knows there are some ways that she could cut back on her spending, but her work schedule makes it difficult. That's a very bad habit of mine to order out. I'm at work odd hours, so I'm at work for lunch and dinner time. So that's usually twice a day that I'm ordering. She teaches Pilates on the side to make extra money, but her dream is to become an entrepreneur. She's trying to launch an online wellness platform with her husband, but it's not yet profitable. But we're trying to just find ways to supplement our income so that hopefully we can either pay off our debt faster or have a down payment for a home. The biggest struggle that I'm having right now is how to do it all, really. How to pay off my loans or get to a place where I can be forgiven, which means paying my loans on time, and save enough to live and enjoy life and retire eventually. The problem is saving and paying off all of these debts, and I'm having a very hard time juggling the two. Melanie is not alone. Today's expert, Farnoosh Torabi, has met with college students across the country who are worried about the burden of student loan debt. But many of those students have no idea what their monthly payments will be after they graduate. Hi, I'm Farnoosh Torabi. I'm a financial expert, author, and host of the podcast, So Money. My latest book was called When She Makes More. So, Farnoosh, I actually just read a survey about more than a thousand adults with student loan debt. And what struck out to me was that more than half of the respondents thought their student loan payments were based on their income. And one in 10 thought that if they couldn't find a job after college, they wouldn't need to repay their loans at all. But both of those statements are false. It seems to me like Melanie maybe didn't understand what she was signing up for when she took out her student loans. And her situation isn't unique. It's unfortunately not unique. And, you know, the reality is the student loan situation in America is really a crisis. The national average of student loan debt is a little under $25,000. But then you have situations like Melanie and many others where it's ballooned. Women in particular are the majority of the student loan borrowers in this country. The good news is more women are going to college Mm -hmm. than men, but that comes at a big cost. So let's talk about that. Melanie took out almost a quarter of a million dollars in student loans. Her salary after graduation is $85,000 a year. Do people need to be more conscious of their future earning potential when they're taking on student loan debt? If your starting salary is going to be Mm $85,000, you really shouldn't take out more than about half of that in student loan debt. Now, you might be getting angry with me because that's impossible with the current state of college costs. And I think that it's kind of a crime for universities to charge you mm-hmm. a quarter of a million dollars when they're going to send you out into the workforce without really the ability to comfortably pay that down. So for a job that pays $85,000 a year, you shouldn't really be borrowing more than $40,000. Let's say tuition is more than that. How should somebody financially plan for their education? What are the options? You can go part-time, you can apply for scholarships, grants, work studies. A lot of companies might reimburse you a little bit. So Melanie 
thought, I think, that she was going to make more as a physical therapist. She probably thought her and her husband combined salary would be higher. I wonder if she factored in the interest rate of her loan, which will have a huge impact on what she ultimately winds up repaying. Melanie has a direct plus graduate loan, which unfortunately has the highest interest rate among federal loans. You have to do the math. You know, you have to do the math. She is in a difficult financial situation, but on the positive side, she's confronting it, which is a great start. And she's doing some other things right, too. She's in touch with her loan officer. She's prioritizing the student loan debt. And she's never missed a payment, which I thought was very impressive. I think that also the conversations that she's having with her partner are the right ones. It's important for couples to be talking about their goals, the future, just to sort of understand what they're working towards. When you looked at her budget overall and how she spends her money, what was your takeaway? I think when I look at the makeup of her financial life, the bottom line is she has an income problem. They're not making enough as a couple. They're not making enough. And it's probably not what you want to hear because it isn't something that you can fix overnight. And sometimes we feel like it's not something that we can control. She's at the start of her career, so that's an important thing to note. Yes, I will just remind everybody that even though you are at the beginning of your career, you may feel like you're just happy to have the job. You still have to negotiate. You know, companies expect their employees to ask for more. And I actually read a study recently that most millennials don't negotiate on the first job offer and to the surprise of the employer. But certainly she's qualified. She's educated. She's smart. You know, she has to start planting those seeds and her husband as well. I didn't negotiate my salary for my first job at all. But I think my first two jobs, (laughs) I was like, oh, my God, somebody's giving me a job. I'm so happy to be here. Do you need me to pay you? And I didn't learn to negotiate for myself in a job probably until like my late 20s. Did you negotiate when you got your first job offer? I did. I asked for a little bit more. She said no. But I will say that even just getting into the habit of asking, getting over that fear, I was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. So as Melanie gets promotions and changes jobs, she'll need to ask for more money at every turn. One thing that stood out for me, she said, half the time, I can't afford to pay my rent and my student loans and contribute to my savings. She needs to build back up her savings. At Glamour, we call it a fallback fund. Every woman needs enough savings to cover three to six months of living expenses in case she loses her job or has a personal crisis. Right now, her and her husband are trying to work on that. She's teaching Pilates on the side, which is great. She's also starting a business with her husband, but that's not making money yet. For now... Should she focus more on the profitable side hustles like teaching? Oh, yes, if possible. I mean, I'm the queen of side hustles. When I was also in my 20s in New York City, making $18 an hour working in magazines, I was dog sitting. I was freelance writing. I was doing whatever I could to supplement my income. I also had student loan debt. You know, I think that now even more than ever, there's so many options. The internet has made it so easy for us to you know, easily get a job, whether that's quickly, you know, doing a freelance gig Mm -hmm. or doing something in your neighborhood. If you have a car, can you like help someone move? So if she can manage it, Melanie should take on more side hustles? Yeah. And her husband. I'd say, you know, this is where women, this is like our strength and our weakness. Our strength is that we are so, we want to be so independent, right? We want to do it all on our own. We are very strong-willed. But the price that we pay for that is that sometimes... 
we forget that there's so much value in leaning on others, right, and asking for help and asking for support. You have this partner here, Melanie, right, your husband, who at the end of the day just wants to be there for you. And so here's an opportunity for her, really. I think I tell this to all married women, like the the opportunity is that you can now ask this other person who has vowed his life to you to to take some things off of your plate. I think that we're sometimes um, conditioned to not ask for help, and that is to our detriment. Make it about the goals Mm -hmm. and less about the money. I think that when couples can really rally behind the future, which is uh, we're going to have a family and we want to buy a house one day and we want all these things, we want to design our life in a certain way, I think that generates a lot of excitement, motivation, and use that as your compass that steers you. So it sounds like their goal uh, is they want to have kids, but they don't think that they can afford it. How much do you think you need to have <laughs> to have a child? That's the magic question. I think that it's it's more about not having debt, getting that wiped out of the picture. Not so much the student loans. I think it's important to get that under wraps mm-hmm. to a point where she doesn't feel like she's paying down her loans and then she has no money left over. Not paycheck to paycheck. Not, not paycheck not, to not, paycheck. Not leaning on the credit card. One thing, again, that is so common and I hear all the time amongst women that talk to us at Glamour, my friends, she feels like she has to use credit cards to make ends meet. Yeah, that's a crutch. You know, that's what you were pointing out earlier is that not having that three to six month emergency fund. And, and you know, I know that sounds to some people like, how am I ever going to get there? Start small. You know, that lunch that she's not going to buy anymore, put that $10, $15 right into the account. And over time, in six months, she'll see she has hundreds and hundreds of dollars. But try to survive on your cash and get that savings going. There's a great app that I recommend to a lot of people. It's called Digit. Mm-hmm. And I have no affiliation with Digit. It's just this really great app that will look at how you're earning and how you're spending. It's hooked up to your bank. And it will text you and say, hey, Sam, I think today we should save $4. Right. More on She Makes Money Moves right after this quick break. I'm Samantha Barry. Welcome back to She Makes Money Moves. So we talked about the ways that Melanie can build up her savings. At the same time, how can she tackle her student loans? There's this great nonprofit that I love to reference. It's called the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, nfcc.org. They look at your budget. They kind of assess your debt situation. And they have debt management programs. You know, they'll work with you over the course of a year, two years to modify your loans, help you with your budget. And you just have someone else to talk to. An initial meeting with the NFCC is often free, too. Which is great because no one's getting out of serious debt without a plan. I think that knowledge is so key. And the head in the sand attitude, honestly, can make you feel so insecure and worried and financially vulnerable. But even if you're not where you want to be financially right now, having knowledge, going to free services, talking to people, making sure you've got plans in place can make you feel just so much more secure. The thing is, Sam, you know, our debt is not just a number on a spreadsheet. It is draining. Mm -hmm. It is emotionally draining. A little bit of short-term pain can go a long way, whether that means foregoing, delaying certain things, unfortunately, because you have to, because you want to get the debt out of the picture. Then maybe you want to think about the most affordable living options. Mm -hmm. It's not that maybe you can go and live in the big city yet. Maybe you have to take a gap year and live with your family and save money on rent to kind of play some catch up. Maybe you're sharing a house for longer than you're sharing a house for longer. You're commuting a little bit longer to get to your 
your job, but you're also side hustling. We all have skills, whether it's we speak a second language, Mm -hmm. we're really good at organization, we're really great at graphic design. I mean, think about some of the skills and the resources that you have access to that you can leverage to make a quick $50, $100 extra a week. That is a lot of extra. So if you do find yourself in a situation where your debt is is a big load mm-hmm. when you graduate. Think about all the ways you can design your life around that to make that really affordable and get that out of the picture as soon as possible. Melanie's in a difficult situation, but she's talking about it and she's confronting it. And she's thinking ahead, you know, which I think is really hard to stop and do sometimes because life is so busy. And I think that's one of the challenges when you're younger and you're just thrown into the workforce You're working all these hours. You're just trying to make your bills. And so it's hard to kind of get out of that Mm -hmm. and actually think about, okay, where do I want to be in the next year, five years? That's what we call financial planning. Right. She's kind of doing that, you know, and she's realizing she's got some struggles, but she's trying to work her way through it. I'm hopeful for Melanie. If you have student loan debt, you're clearly not alone. If you're feeling overwhelmed, call your loan agency and ask if you can adjust your payments or reach out to a nonprofit like the NFCC. Look, no one wants to admit, even to a stranger on the phone, that they messed up or that they're in over their head. I might repeat this in every episode, but it's worth saying again. The only way to make uncomfortable conversations less awkward is by having them. Pick up the phone. To learn more about what we've talked about in this episode, visit Glamour.com slash money. And if you'd like to share your story, we'd love to hear it and help you make money moves. Email us at money at Glamour.com. She Makes Money Moves is a production of Glamour and iHeartRadio with new episodes dropping every Tuesday. I'm your host and Glamour's editor-in-chief, Samantha Barry. The podcast is co-written and co-produced by Kim Fusaro and Deanna Buckman, with support from Lauren Brown West Rosenthal. Editorial oversight is provided by Maddie Kahn. Christina Everett is our executive producer. Mary Dew is our audio engineer. Julie Shen heads up business and development of this podcast, and Pat Singer heads up our research team. Special thanks to Farnoosh Chorabi and our guest Melanie for sharing her story. <laughs> 